Morning, welcome to you to Northridge. We're so glad you're here as always, and we just we just love this. Um, for those of you who are here for the very first time, again, I know several of you are uh, never been here before, first time guests. Um, so we want to say welcome to you. Um, we're glad to have you here specifically, and and of course everybody. Uh, but we also want you to know that this is a safe place. Northridge is a safe place for you. We we hear we believe in God's word and what it says and that this is truth for our lives. But we also know that not everybody is there and, and maybe believes in that same thing or, or, or sees it differently or whatever. And so we want you to know that this is a safe place for you to ask questions, to really seek what it looks like to follow God on a daily relevant basis, uh, on an everyday kind of a thing, and to have faith in Him and, and what that looks like for us. And so we're glad that you're here. Uh, today we are starting a brand new series called The Power of a Story. And uh, as I always am, I'm always excited about a new series because uh, that's just how I am. But I'm really excited this for a, a couple of very specific reasons. One, uh, because what we're going to do is is a two uh, two different kind of versions of stories. One, uh, we're going to go through several stories in the Old Testament that trace the history of the Israelites from when they escaped Egypt all the way up to about the time when they crossed over the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And so we're going we're gonna to trace several stories. We're going to trace actually those two stories and a couple of stories in between uh, in this. And we're going to get some powerful things. And there's just something about a story, isn't there? Have you, have you ever realized that? That when you hear a story, you remember it. Okay? If I just told you facts about stuff, you might be able to recall it in a few weeks. I mean, me, I sometimes have a hard time recalling what I had for lunch the day before, right? I mean, so it's just kind of one of those things. But we might be able to do it. But if I tell you a story, it's something that you probably remember for a long time, if not even for the rest of your life. Because stories, there's something about stories. There's power in a story. And so God uses the true stories that are found in his word to really tell some amazing things. And so we're going to look at some of those. But then I also want you to know that in this series, we're also going to have some personal stories. Some people are from Northridge are going to tell their story of faith and how God has changed them. And you're not going to want to miss those either. There's some powerful, powerful things that God has done, not only in some of our people, but through them. And, and they're going to share some of those things in the weeks to come. And so I just, I'm really excited about that as we start this. But today what we're going to do is we're going to look at a specific story about the Israelites that talk about mountaintop experiences with God. Now, when I say mountaintop experience, I don't literally mean like we're standing on the mountain like Moses did on Mount Sinai with God and he break, you know, got, gave him the Ten Commandments. I'm not talking about a literal mountain. I'm talking about those times with God where God shows up and he does something just amazing. Something that you just weren't expecting. Something that was so far and just incredible that you just didn't know what he was doing and you didn't know it was happening or you didn't know it was coming. And all of a sudden, God shows up in an amazing, powerful, miraculous kind of a way. Okay, we're going to look at a story where God does this for the Israelites in this story. And we're going to gain some insight as to what should we learn from it? What should we gain from it? What should we think about? And what should we get out of when we have these mountaintop experiences with God? And so let me just set up the story because it needs a little bit of background. So at at this time of history, the Israelites have been enslaved in, in the country, in the nation of Egypt for 400 years. 
Kind of a long time, right? So they've been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And, and through a series of plagues, and they brought, and God brings Moses and Aaron in. You guys have heard of Moses, right? Moses comes in and he leads the people. And through a series of 10 plagues, God convinces the Egyptians that they really need to let the Israelites go free. That, that they need to get out of Egypt. And so finally, the Pharaoh and the leaders of Egypt, they decide, okay, we need to let them go. And so all the Israelites, led by Moses now, Moses is their human leader, but God is leading and guiding and directing him. They are all leaving Egypt. They're all going. They've been enslaved for 400 years, but now they're leaving. Now they've grown into this massive, massive nation of people. Okay, the Bible tells us, we don't know the exact number, but we know that there were 600,000 men in terms of in the Israelite you know, nation. You had women, you had children, and there were at least a million, we're, we're pretty sure about that, but it was probably even a little bit more than that. So we're thinking about a million plus people are now exiting Egypt. Okay, in fact, that's why this book that we're going to look into in just a minute is called Exodus. It, it actually, the fir- first half of the book is all about their exodus, their exit from Egypt, from slavery. Okay, and so where we pick up the story is the Israelites are a million strong and they're crossing. And by the way, just, just to let you know, okay, they're on their way to the promised land where God is, and it's quite a ways. It's going to be a serious journey. Okay, just to imagine what it would be like for a million people to cross the wilderness, cross the desert. How many of you have ever taken a trip it with your just your own family, like four or five of you, in a van for any more than like four hours. How did that go for you? Okay, yeah. Think about that. Now I want you to imagine a million people walking with uh, cows mooing and sheep bleeding and all this. Like they're, they're you know, they're, they've got their livestock, they've got everything on their backs or pulling behind them, dragging through the sand. A million people strong, led by Moses. And Moses is saying, God has a land for us. We're going to get there. You know, and you can just see the like the Israelite children, not in English, but they're going, are we there yet? You know, I don't know how they said it in Hebrew, but I mean, that's, what, that's what they said. And so this is kind of the picture we're getting. So all of a sudden they're, they're getting out of Egypt and they find themselves stuck along the edge of a huge body of water. And at this point, Pharaoh decides that he changes his mind. He doesn't want the Israelites to leave. And so he's going to go out after him. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. So I want to go to Exodus chapter 14, starting with verse 5. When word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done? Letting all those Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel who had left with fists raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers, and his troops. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore near Pi-Hahirath across from Baal-Zephon. So this is, we have to stop there because a lot's going on. So Pharaoh decides that he wants the Israelites back or that he wants to teach them a lesson or take them out, okay? And so he gathers not only just a few chariots, but he gathers the 600 best chariots plus other chariots plus other troops. So just so that we're clear, this is probably the meat 
the most, probably the largest portion of the, the Pharaoh's army. He has just emptied Egypt of his military to go after this million so or so plus strong people that are just crossing the wilderness. And now he finds that they have made a huge mistake by camping right next to this body of water. And so here's, here's, here's what you need to picture. The Israelites, you have this huge body of water here to their east. They're camped here, a million people strong. And then here's Egypt over here. And now all of a sudden, this massive army that is decked out completely in weaponry like nobody's ever seen. Understand, Egypt is the most powerful military on that part of the planet, if not the entire planet at this time in history. It's about 1400 B.C., okay? So this is the most powerful military in this area. And they are there, and they have trapped the Israelites between them and this water. There's nowhere to go. You don't just kind of start swimming. Right. And you don't like, Okay, we're just going to run. Hey, kids, let's go. We're going to run around this sea or this lake. Right. They just they can't do that. So they're trapped. And so here we have the Egyptian army that has trapped the Israelites. And this is the point that we see. Now, this is the first point is this. We're talking about mountaintop experiences with God. And one is about to happen for the Israelites. God is about to show up in a dramatic way. But what's interesting is mountaintop experiences in our lives with God A lot of times, and maybe you found this to be true, a lot of times it happens, these mountaintop experiences happen just before or just after valley times. You know what valley times are, right? Those difficult times, those those hard things that happen in our life. And a lot of times a mountaintop experience with God where he just shows up and there's something powerful or some miracle that's done, a lot of times it can be squeezed in between valleys or sometimes it's coming out of a valley and then all of a sudden there's a mountaintop Whatever the case is, but a lot of times it's squeezed in there. And this is what's happened with the Israelites. The Israelites just escaped from slavery. 400 years of slavery just ended. I'd say that's a mountaintop, isn't it? Right? God showed up and they're free from slavery over 400 years. This is a huge deal. But now they're in a valley, a literal one, but also in their lives. They're scared to death. They look back and they see this massive army. and They're like, okay, they can take us out like that. They're going to squash us chariots and everything. We've got cows and sheep and kids and babies, and there's no way we're going to be able to stand up to this, right? So they're scared. They're worried, right? And so they're in a valley time, but then God is about to lead them to a mountain, not a literal mountain, but a, an amazing experience that nobody's ever seen before. And so one of those things, sometimes we just got to look for those. But now let's go back to the story. So Pharaoh is there and the people start complaining to Moses. They start saying to Moses and to God, they start saying, Moses, God, why did you take us out of slavery? We should have just stayed slaves. Like it would have been better than dying in the desert at the hands of the Egyptian army. Come on, what are you doing? They start complaining. They're scared. They're worried. They're, they're upset, right? And, and so Moses, I don't know what he does to calm them down, but eventually he calms them down. And then now understand, I'm about to just kind of infuse. This is Brent's version of the Bible. This is not what the Bible says, okay? So I just want to make that clear when I do these kinds of things, okay? This is kind of how I see it. I don't know what Moses did exactly, but I, we do know that he went and he started to cry out to God. He went to pray. So I, I imagine, I mean, he's got a million people around him. They're like, Moses, what are we doing? And so I'm sure he's like, we're going to be fine, guys. God got, has got this. We're good. And I, I, I see him just slipping around a rock, right? And going, Okay, God, seriously, I'm praying right now. I don't know what to do, but did you see? Like, this is, this is messed up. I'm freaking out, right? I mean, I trust you, but still, <laughs> this doesn't look good, right? And kind of, I can see him huddling behind the rock and like on his knees and like, seriously, God, you got to do something. 
And we know that Moses is praying. We know that Moses is crying out to him because God responds to him in, in a way that we probably would not expect God to show up. Okay? This, is, this is one of those things where when we pray, we don't necessarily expect God to say this. But this is what God says to Moses. Okay? I want to go skip down to verses 15 and 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Okay, I just want to stop. God is saying, why are you praying, Moses? What are you doing? What are you sitting there for? Why are you hiding behind the rock? I know you're talking to me, but what are you doing? Okay, now, now get what he says next. Tell the people to get moving. Right? This is what God says to Moses. Okay, I want you to catch what's going on here. Yeah, God is kind of like, Moses, I don't know if you noticed. There's a really big army behind you. You should probably start doing something. And stop praying. Like, let's go. Like, you've got to be kidding me. You're, you've got a million people trapped with water. What are you doing? Like, I'm here. Let's go. Let's do this. And then he tells him, that this is great. God is just great. All right? This is what he does. In verse 16, he says, okay, Moses, here's what you need to do. Pick up your staff. Raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. <laughs> right. Okay, right. So, so I'm sure, I, I, I mean, again, I don't know. I'm not in Moses' head, and, and the Bible does not tell us what his thoughts are at this point, although I would love that. But Moses is hearing God, and he says, Moses, you need to stop crying out to me. You need to get the people up to the water, and then you need to just take your staff and put your hand over, and then we're going to divide the water, and we're going to walk through. What's so difficult about this? Right? And, and I'm sure Moses is going, yeah, God, why didn't I think of that? I mean, totally obvious choice, obvious choice here, right? So he's got to be thinking, this seems a little crazy. Like, you've got to be kidding me here. I'm supposed to get up in front of them and just put my staff up in my arm and the, the water's just going to, like you said, divide? It's just going to go like this? Are you kidding me? And this brings up a really, really big point. Sometimes when God wants to take us to a mountaintop experience, it hasn't happened yet. He's still in the valley. He still doesn't see what needs to happen, although God has now told him what he needs to do. Sometimes in order to lead us to a mountaintop experience, sometimes God needs us not to just stop praying. We should pray. And understand, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray. Prayer, prayer is important. I'm just saying that sometimes God is asking us to do more than just pray. In fact, the point would be this. Sometimes I think God just needs us to get moving. Isn't that true? Sometimes God needs us to just get moving because I don't know about you, but I, I want to let you in on this. This is something that I'm not proud of in my own life. But there are times when God, like Moses, right? God just asked Moses to do something kind of crazy. I mean, kind of, kind of nuts, really. To go out and like stand over the water and be like, okay, let's go, God, right? And I mean, this is going to be crazy. And when God has asked me to do certain things that are a little difficult to do, like hard to do, difficult for my faith, like uh, maybe go talk to somebody about Jesus and say, you know, trust me, they're, they're going through a tough time. You don't even know that. But, but you need to go tell them about who God is and, and who you are and what you believe in. And I'm like, but I don't even know them that well. Like, uh, really? And God says, just stretch out your hand. Trust me. 
And here's what I have done sometimes. I don't like to admit this, but I have done this sometimes. There are some times when God has asked me to do things that are hard, difficult for me to do. And instead of doing them, and in order to avoid it, I just keep praying. It looks very holy to everybody else. And so I look good. And I don't have to do whatever is really scary for me. Isn't that funny how you can play God that way? By the way, we're not playing God. We're just playing ourselves. But I have done that. Where God has called me to do something difficult. And I said, you know, God, uh, I just want to make sure. So I'm going to spend today praying some more about this. I think maybe this is what you said, but I'm not. I just want to be sure. And then the next day comes and I'm like, you know, I... You kind of said that that was what I was supposed to do, but I think I'm going to pray about it some more just to make sure. I want to be faithful. I want to be, I want to be sure that I'm not taking craziness without you. And what it comes down to is it has nothing to do with faithfulness on my part. It has everything to do with me being scared of what he wants me to do. I don't know if you've ever experienced that in your own life, but I have. There are many times when I've been obedient, but there have been other times where I've failed where God said, stretch out your hand over the water. Not literally, you understand. And I haven't. I've stayed down by the rock and just kept praying. Sometimes, in order to lead us to the mountain, sometimes God calls us not just to pray, but to do more than that, to get moving. Um, A practical way that this has worked out in my life, you guys know that Laura and I were teachers in North Carolina, public school teachers. I've told you this story a couple of times. Um, In the third year of teaching, I was called into ministry very clearly by God. He said, you are no longer going to be a teacher. You're going to be a pastor. You're going to be, well, he didn't even say pastor. He said, you're going to be in full-time ministry professionally for the rest of your life. That's what you're going to do. I didn't know exactly what that meant. I didn't know what the job looked like. I didn't know where it was going to be. Again, we were in North Carolina at the time. Uh, but he very clearly, I won't get into all those details. That's another, that's another time, another sermon. But, uh, but very clearly, God had called me out of teaching and into ministry. But the thing that he didn't do is he didn't give us any practical application of that. He didn't give a job. He didn't provide a church. He didn't do anything that was very clear like, okay, this is what I need to do to start now. I'm going to jump from teaching and go into this. And so Laura and I just kept teaching. Now, we were, we were, it wasn't that we were not highly involved in already ministry anyway. I was leading worship at the church that we were currently at in North Carolina. Laura and I were both uh, the pastor. There was two pastors. There was a lead pastor and there was a youth pastor at the time at this church. And Laura and I served uh, as just, you know, volunteers, just lay leaders like you guys. A lot of you do at Northridge here. And uh, we were in, highly involved in the middle school and high school ministry on Wednesday night and Sunday evenings. And so we were there, and then on Sunday mornings we were leading worship and all this kind of stuff. So we were highly involved, but we didn't have an expression of, God, you called me into ministry. And so there, there's this professional version, like where, where I'm going to go be at a church, I'm going to go on staff at a church. All that, that didn't happen. And so I was, it wasn't that we were confused, but we were kind of like, okay, God, you should call me in ministry, but what are, we, what are we supposed to do? And so I just, you know, kept praying. I was just like praying, and Laura and I talked and about it and all this stuff. This is before kids, and so we could talk <laughs> at that time. It was awesome. Um, we should talk sometime, maybe later today, dear. Uh, you know, it, it, was just, it was just good, you know, pre-kids. And, and so anyway, it was just, it, we could talk. And so we talked about this stuff. And, and we were doing, and we're praying about this on our own and together. And 
but we didn't just nothing happened. And so, so, but, but then in the midst of that, I got this clear sense from God, this clear call from God to say, you need to just stop praying so much. You need to keep praying, but, but I need you to start doing something to prepare yourself for the ministry that I'm calling you to. And so I was like, okay. So Laura and I talked about it. We kind of decided maybe what the what that meant, what that action step was. And so what I decided what I needed to do was I needed to sign up and and you know get into a master's program that would teach me things about the Bible and about being a pastor and all those kind of things. And so I enrolled in a program that that would teach that. And I started taking classes. Now understand, I'm teaching history at a high school while I'm doing this. So I'm teaching history during the day. And then I get home in the evenings, not every evening, but most evenings, and I'm sitting on my computer and I'm plugging away on theology and what the Bible, where the Bible came from and all this stuff. And, you know, it's kind of like, okay, I'm teaching and yet I'm doing this and I don't even know where this is going. And there were days where I was just kind of like, is this, you know, is this the path I'm supposed to be taking? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And, you know, it was kind of one of those wrestles with God, but it was very clear that God had that. Well, it wasn't until the very next spring, so almost a year later, that God provided a church for Laura and I to move to North Dakota to, and I became the, the children's ministry pastor at a church. But I know very clearly now, it's easy to look, isn't it easy to look back and see things, right? Hindsight, twenty twenty, kind of a thing. I can look back now and I see that if I had not done those classes and all that stuff, there's no way it would have gotten us to the point where we could even do that and go to that church. And so sometimes God asks us not to just pray, but to do more than that and to actually get moving and do something. So at this point, let's go back to the story. At this point, Moses has all the people moving up to the water, right? They're all moving up to the water. He's like, okay, guys. God's going to do something. It's going to be awesome, right? And he's like, get up to the water. And so he's got a million people plus up to the water. And now, now it's like put up or shut up time, right? I mean, it is. It really is. Like, I mean, Moses is there. Everybody's looking at Moses. And they're like, okay, Moses, we're standing to the water. What are we doing? Did I need to bring my Speedo or, you know, what, what's going on? Are we swimming? Because we got a lot of animals here and babies and kids, they don't swim. And most people, you understand, in 1400 BC, they didn't swim, you know, so most people can't swim. So this is scary stuff. I mean, they're standing on the edge of this very deep water. All that, here we are. And they're like, what's, what's going to happen? And so now it's Moses' crisis of faith. Do I believe everything that I've been saying? Do I believe that God is going to save us? Do I believe that we were supposed to leave Egypt and be free from slavery and do all this stuff? If I do, then I need to just put my hand out there and I need to trust. If not, then I don't know. I I need to come up with a story. And so Moses decides that he needs to trust God. And we pick up the story there, verses 21 and 22. It says this, Then Moses raised his hand over the sea. And the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. Isn't that awesome? 
So what happens is something that nobody has ever seen. God says, watch, watch what I do. And, and Moses goes in there and, and the, the water parts and a million people strong cross through to the other side. And then it comes back and washes over and takes out the Egyptians so that they don't have to worry about them anymore, about slavery and all that kind of stuff. And, and they're on into the wilderness. So God shows up in this dramatic, amazing way. We're talking about a mountaintop experience. Can you imagine you go through and you like to see that? Okay? It's, just, it's just unbelievable. It's amazing. And this brings up one other point, and that is this. There's no doubt that it was God's power that parted that water, right? We, we have no doubt about that. It was obviously without God, that water doesn't do that. Especially like, you know, you, we've come up with, experts have come up with all kinds of reasons why this happened. There was an earthquake, there's a thing, whatever. What, regardless, water doesn't part and make walls and be dry on the ground, Right? I mean, I can, I can try to blow water, you know, apart, but it's not going to be dry underneath. I mean, everything comes together. It doesn't work. It doesn't work this way. It just doesn't work. It's a miracle. And so God shows up in this dramatic way. There's this mountaintop experience that the Israelites have with God. But the only way that that happens, at least based on how this story is told, what is the key to it? God, of course, is the key, but what's the key through human eyes? It's the fact that Moses had to stand in front of the people and put his hand out in front of everybody and say, okay, God, you better show up. I'm going to look pretty silly. You know, here we go. Right now, God, it'd be good. You know, I, you know, I wonder, I wonder if God like took a few seconds. <laughs> Have you ever wondered that? Like he's standing out there with the staff and he's like, okay, okay, okay. You know, where he's kind of starting to shake and be like, they're going to throw me in the water. I know they are. Come on, God, you got to do something. I don't know. But either way, he did it. And they have this mountaintop experience. But what it comes down to is that Moses had faith. Sometimes God will lead us to the mountain, but he needs us to be the one that has obedience first. I've heard a lot of people say this. Maybe you guys have heard this too. I've heard people say, well, you know what? I, I'm, just, I, I'm just here. I'm just waiting on God. And I've had people say that sometimes for years. And what I think sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes I think what's happening is God is actually waiting on them. I've already told you what to do. You're just still praying. You don't need to, you don't need to keep praying that. We need to pray for new things because I already told you where you need to go, what you need to do. So let's get moving. Kind of like he said to Moses. So a question that I have to kind of, as we kind of head toward the end here, is this. What should you and I get out of mountaintop experiences with God? What, what should be our takeaway? What should, be, what should we learn from times when God shows up in an amazing way in our lives? Whether it's through changing our own life and changing our direction, or whether it's, you know, when we see somebody else change through our influence on them because we've been praying for them, or whether we see like even Northridge and the things that have happened here, not just our growth, but just the amazing, you guys know that people's lives have changed. Like a ton of people have just changed their direction, their course, not just because of Northridge, but because of God's work in their life. It's been amazing to see. When God shows up this way, what should be our takeaway? What should we learn from it? 
I think there's two things, and I want to go to the very last verse in chapter 14. It's the very last thing that he that is talked about in this story. It's verse 31. Just, just catch what happens here. It says this, When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed, isn't that a good word, unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Two things that I believe need to be our takeaways from mountaintop experiences with God. First of all, we need to have awe. We need to be in awe of God. Now, we don't use that word a lot. We use the word awesome. Okay? I have a couple of you here. You make fun of me for using the word awesome too much. I'm cool with it. It's good. Okay? And, and where I go is because I have, you know, kids this age. I go to the Lego movie. Everything is awesome. All right? Heard that a few times? Yeah, me too. A lot too much. Everything is awesome. And we think of this, but we never think of the word awe. Just awe. So let me give you a definition of what this means. If we have awe of God, what does that mean? Because I don't know about you. You're like, well, I think it means he's cool. I don't know. He's big. Whatever. Okay, let me give you a definition of awe. Okay? An overwhelming feeling of reverence, admiration, and fear. An overwhelming feeling of reverence, admiration, and fear. Now, the first two usually we get, I think. If you're in awe of God, I hope that there's reverence there. Like where you go, okay, I respect you, I honor you, I worship you. Admiration is the same thing. I admire, I admire oh man. When you admire something, you're just like, wow, that is amazing. We admire it. But then that third one is weird. Fear. We typically think of awe as something like, wow, it's powerful, it's good. And then fear. Fear is good. In this case, it is. Not a, not a scary kind of fear, cringing kind of fear, and I've mentioned this before, but, but a healthy kind of fear where we go, God, you are God, and I am not. And you are huge, you are amazing, and I know I need to worship you and I need to put my life in your hands. The kind of fear where you go, I am just nothing without you. I need you. And I acknowledge that. When we see mountaintop experiences with God, it should bring us to a place of awe. Not a place of God's a good theory. Not a place of, hey, the Bible's kind of cool. I don't understand most of it, but it's kind of cool. Not a place of, I love going to church with my friends. It's a place of where we go, God is bigger and more awesome than we can ever know, and he's in charge of my life. Because if he's not, I'm off. It is a true reverence, admiration, and fear of God. But then there's a second thing. Did you notice in the verse 31 there that it talks about that we need to get out of our mountaintop experiences with God? The second thing is increased faith. That we have increased faith. That we have this, and by the way, what, what is faith exactly? I mean, when we talk about faith, we throw that term loosely around. I hear a lot of people say, uh, when they find, and usually this is how it comes out. They find out I'm a pastor, and they say, oh, you are. Oh, I have faith. I believe in things of faith. Well, that's good. 
And I don't always do this, but sometimes I do if I know them a little bit better and I'm getting to know them and I feel like there's some openness there. I say, what, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by faith? Faith in what? What is faith? And what I would just want to describe when we're talking about faith, we're talking about that our hope and our trust has been placed in God, in Jesus, for our joy, for our satisfaction, for our direction in life. That we have increased faith that comes out of these mountaintop experiences. Now, get this. This is interesting. This faith thing is pretty key. Not only should we get more faith, increase our faith and our trust and our hope in God out of a mountaintop experience, but honestly, in order to have mountaintop experiences with God, a big key to that is faith. So in other words, we should have increased faith out of a mountaintop experience, but we also need faith in order to lead us to a mountaintop experience. It doesn't happen without Moses raising his hand over the water, right? And so, in fact, I skipped a couple of verses. I want to go back to them. Moses, when all the people are complaining, right? When I told you, they said, Moses, what are you doing? Why'd you take us out of slavery? This is ridiculous. All we're going to do is just be taken out by the Egyptian army. This is what Moses told them. We know that Moses had incredible faith because this is what he tells the people. Verses 13 and 14, this is what he says. Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. In other words, God's going to take care of it. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. If I were to just sum those two verses up, what is, what is God trying to say? Or, and what is God saying to Moses? But what is Moses trying to say to the people? He's saying, trust God right now. Okay? Can I tell you something I think probably is going on in Moses? He's a human being. So I'm pretty sure that he was scared just like everybody else. You think so? You turn around, you look, and you see chariots armed to the hilt ready to just march and and go after you and all the people that you care about? He's scared. But Moses stands before the people and he says, listen, I believe this. God's got this. So trust him. And his faith leads him and the Israelites to the mountaintop experience with God. So I want to wrap up a little bit different way, but as you guys know, you guys, this is something that we all know, I think. But our life, our lives are not made of, if we have faith in God, it is not made of jumping from mountaintop to mountaintop, right? We don't jump from mountaintop to mountaintop. That's not, it's not how life works. It's not how God works. It's not how this earth works. Okay? We don't jump from mountaintop to mountaintop. I don't know if you've noticed, but how many of you have ever realized that sometimes, not always, but sometimes your day doesn't turn out how you planned it would turn out. Anybody ever notice that? Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's better, <laughs> and sometimes it's much worse. Right? You notice that? We don't just, like, have perfect days. Like, you know, it seems like, okay, I serve God, and, and God will just make things, everything good. We're just right across the mountains. Woo! Perfection all the time. Everything is awesome. Every day. I'm putting in new lyrics, but what are you going to do? Right? And we think that sometimes we feel like that's what God should do, is we should just hop on top of mountains. But we know what are in between mountains. Valleys are in between mountains, aren't they? 
It's not that there always have to be mountain, or valleys in between mountains, but sometimes there are. And sometimes God wants us to understand that the mountaintop experiences are the thing that will give us the fuel and the energy and the strength and the faith and the awe to get through the valleys that are coming up. Because only God knows those things. And so I bring that up because it's important not only just to know, but I want to bring that up too because uh, I want to encourage you over the next couple of weeks... Um, next week, the 5th, and the Sunday, the 12th, so the next two Sundays, we're going to have uh, two different people that are going to share their personal stories with you. And they're going to do this in front of you. So this is going to be very hard for them to do, but it's also going to be hard because their stories have some difficult things in them that they, that they need to share. Um, their valleys that they've gone through. But while I want to... I want you to know this because we, we don't a lot of times go there and we haven't even gone there a whole lot as a church, uh, as Northridge, but they're going to share their personal valley stories. And, and I, I'm really excited about it, not because of what they had to go through, but I'm really excited about it because their stories will be hard to hear, but they also speak to God's goodness and faithfulness to them through the valley. That makes sense? And sometimes we need to remember that God is always there, even when we don't feel like it sometimes. And so we're going to hear some personal stories that are, that are going to be hard to hear, but I believe, here's what I believe. And I, I believe that there's a couple of things. One, you need a break from me sometimes. <laughs> I, I'm going to be involved on the two Sundays, so you'll still have to deal with me a little bit. But, but but you're going to hear more from their mouth and their story. And I want you to hear from their story because I truly believe that what they have to share will encourage you, it will challenge you, and it will move you to realize what God needs to be to you or what He really is right now and what you need to see. So I just, I make this plea to you. I encourage you. I don't know what your schedule is over the next couple of weeks. I don't know what you got planned and basketball tournaments and all that kind of stuff. We've got that stuff too coming up. I would just highly encourage you don't miss these two stories. They are going to be hard to hear, but they're going to be so good to hear because they come from a place of people where they have either gone through or are going through valley times in their lives. And they're going to share personally from their own personal experience about what they've experienced and how God has been faithful to them. This week was pretty hard for me. It was a bad week. I mean, one of the worst I've had in a long time. And I'm not going to go into details because it really didn't even deal with me personally, but it was an awful week. And... Laura and I, we joke about this. We joke about these things. And, and I think we have to just kind of get through them sometimes. But the truth is, sometimes we're like, we get to Saturday night and it's been a horrendous week or it's been an awful day. And we go, man, God is going to do something awesome tomorrow on Sunday morning or something's going to happen because this has been a week. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's been an awful week. And it's one of those things where you realize that we can't just skim across the top of mountains 
that we have valley times in there in between, but that no matter what, God is always there. Always. And I understand just like you guys do, because this week, I didn't necessarily feel that God was close, but I knew God was close. And there were moments this week when I felt God close. And so I just encourage you, for these next two weeks, these stories are going to be difficult, but they're going to be so good because they are real. And they talk about the real struggle that we have as human beings, that we have to get through this life on earth. But God also, there's this other truth, that the fact that God is there, that he loves us completely, more than we can understand in our human understanding, and that he wants the best for us even though it sometimes is hard. And I believe the mountaintop experiences are our fuel to help us get through those valley times. So if you're here, and I don't know where you're at, maybe you're on a mountaintop right now today and this week. That's awesome. Maybe you're in a valley. Or maybe you're just somewhere in between. I'm like, I don't know. I'm, I'm in the mountains. I don't know. You don't know where you're at, but you're somewhere in between. Wherever you're at, I just want you to know, God is always with you, just like he was with Moses, the Israelites. All through his word, he talks about, he promises, I will be with you always, always. We're going to have some good times talking about these stories going forward these next few weeks. And I believe God has a lot of things that he wants to do in us, through us, and some things that maybe he wants to do in our church, and I'm excited about it. But I hope that you guys get on board with it just like I I am. And we'll see what God wants to do. Let's pray.